You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I am Jesse Meekham, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I hate New Year's resolutions. In fact, I can't even think of a time in which I made one that stuck. Not once. Yet, yet the new year truly is a chance for new beginnings. Will this be the year that we get our money in order? Will we retire or take a new job? Will we finally feel like our money is working for us as opposed to us working for it? My guess is that our guest today would tell you that usage of his budgeting app jumps at the beginning of the year. What you might not expect, however, is that he would also say that spending less by itself is probably a poor New Year's resolution. Today, we discuss why. Jesse Meekham is a personal finance expert, speaker, business leader, and the founder of You Need a Budget. Jesse hosts the You Need a Budget podcast and is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book, you guessed the name, You Need a Budget. A self-proclaimed recovering CPA, he is deeply passionate about teaching individuals, families, and business owners so they can gain total control of their money. Jesse, welcome to Earn and Invest. Let's start with like the big basic question. What's your take in general? Are financial New Year's resolutions a good thing in general? Anytime someone is resolved to improve their finances, I would nod up and down. I would say, okay, yeah, this is great. The fact that it rolls around on you know December twenty sixth or eighth, where they start to feel that, that that starts to feel a little artificial. But if the resolve is genuine, we've got something we can work with. Absolutely. As, as I was about to say, but do people stick with them? And was I right? I was assuming that the usage of your budget app probably goes up. You know, come January one, do people stick with it? I I mean, we do see. So we see a spike. Yeah, we 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 call it the New Year spike. We absolutely see it. Um, we also see a back to school year spike, which maybe people don't know about. So there are times and seasons where the world will say, hey, I've got to take a look at this. And we we accept that. Um, will they all stick? No, but we never see the baseline go back to where it was before. So th- there is some kind of there is some kind of stay there for some percentage of people. So I like the idea. I'm a goal setter, um, but I, I like to set goals when it strikes me, not you know, not just because the calendar rolled over. I, I don't know. I'm splitting hairs here. It you could you could say, hey, what a great time of year to kind of look back, assess, think. I like that. Um, but then am I gonna feel guilty on February third when this, you know, my dumpster fire of a goal is is nowhere to be seen? I hope not. You know, I, maybe we can have our cake and eat it too in that way. We are going to come back to this idea of New Year's resolutions and spending. But before we do, let's talk about you a little bit. You are an entrepreneur, a creator of the You Need a Budget app, a podcaster, an author. This is not where your career started. Am I correct that you started as a CPA? 
Yeah, I did. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. I, we launched what, uh, what we now just for short call wine app. We actually kind of, we avoid the word budget almost entirely, which is hilarious considering our original name. Um, but we, we realized, I don't know, a decade in 15 years in like, Oh, we aren't really teaching people to, to go on financial diets. Maybe this isn't right. So we're still grappling with history, but as it relates to when I started the, when I started YNAB, we, I actually started while I was still in school and you know, you, you called me an entrepreneur. I actually don't like the title. I think it gets too romanticized. It gets like, Oh, what an entrepreneur. It's like, listen, it's somebody that sees sees an opportunity and wants to take advantage of it or mine was even worse um i needed money you know my wife and i like we just needed to make ends meet and i thought this little spreadsheet that i had built i thought maybe people would buy this online you know and this was back when adsense was five cents a click and we could test it and see and and so off we were the spreadsheet lasted maybe a year before I realized how oh, software's got to be the answer here. Um, but that was the start was just uh, Julie and I needing some money. And, uh, you know, my entrepreneurial vision was let's make rent, you know, and uh, then you just iterate from there. So did you ever take a traditional accounting job? I mean, did you ever were you ever employed yeah. or did you work for someone else? Yeah, I did work for a one of the big four accounting firms uh, down in Dallas. Um, I was good at it. But that um I mean, maybe in the medical world, it's the same. If you're really good at something, people just like, Hey, I should have that guy do that thing. You know? So that was, it was a lot of that. And, and I ended up, I mean, the hours were atrocious. I had a, you know, two little boys and, um, you know, my wife and we never saw each other. Just, you know, all of this, you know, it, none of it was good. And, uh, so I, I basically was able to like muster enough courage to think maybe I could support this little family with this tiny little business. And I was able to jump ship around not even i didn't even last a year in that world so love the education but brass tacks doing it for work oh it was just was not for me was there a moment a pivot point i remember in medicine for me it was burnout but i can actually mm -hmm. look to a specific day during residency where i had a particularly bad day and i knew now looking back you know decades later i'm like that was the moment that i began leaving medicine did you have that moment? I mean, you're only there for a year, but was there something that tipped you over? It's hilarious. It's like you, uh, you do know about, like, I, I, yes, there absolutely was. There was a very small thing that happened that was so pivotal. Um, we would stay late, obviously. And um, I was the only one on my team with kids. Everyone else was younger than me and didn't have a lot of like outside obligations. So the idea of like, Hey, let's stay till 10 o'clock. It wasn't that big of a deal for me. I was like, Oh man, the kids are in bed. I'm not going to see my wife, but they would always say, well, Hey, we're ordering in dinner as if dinner was like the <laughs> thing that would, like, I can have dinner at home. You know, like, I don't need, I don't need to do that. And then the, the bit that really got me, and this sounds so like petty on my part. Um, but I had the idea, like, they're like, order whatever you want. You know, it's on the company's dime. And uh, I'm making 45 grand a year, working 80 hours a week, being billed out at something much larger. The margin was great. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to order a dessert. No one orders dessert, but I'm going to order a dessert with my dinner and I'll bring it home. And then Julie and I'll sit and we'll eat some of PF Chang's great wall of chocolate <laughs> together. We'll have a little <laughs> mini date, you know, and, and it'll be good. Like, it'll be something that I can, I can, Hey, hey at least we've got this, you know, this little moment. And uh, I did that for probably... I don't know, a week and a half or so every night I'd order a little dessert. And, uh, and then I got wind that, um, the partner on the job 
did not like that I was ordering dessert. <laughs> and the bit that got me was not that I was spending an extra, you know, eight or nine bucks on the job. The bit that really got me was this partner didn't have the guts to like go up to this 20 something year old's face and say, don't order dessert on my dime, you know? And, and I just thought that if I stay here, that is where I land. That is, that is my path. And um, as trite and petty as I've just laid out that story, that was it. Like that was the moment where I thought, this is not it. This is not it at all. And it wasn't, it wasn't long after where I just thought, okay, I'll take the leap. I hate to share that story, but your question was so on point. And I'm like, oh yeah, I do have that one thing. So I felt like I had to say it. It's funny, your description of the accounting world. So my mother, basically my dad died when my mom was about 36 and she happened to be right at the end of her getting her business degree as a CPA. And she went and worked for Deloitte Haskins and Sells. That's what it was called back in the oh, 1980s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you were describing how like most of the people you're working with, you know, didn't have kids. Well, my mom had three boys, no spouse, and she had started working in her 30s, which for the 1980s and was a woman, which was a strange thing. Yeah. All and I remember was, her yeah, describing those nights where everyone would be going out and she would struggle, right? With this idea of do I go home to the kids? I've got a busy life. I got to clean the house. I got to make sure there's food for them, all those kind of oh, things. My heavens. Yeah. Yeah. So I, wow. I really connected with that story. As you said it, that is not what we are here to talk about today. <laughs> however, we are talking about this idea of New Year's resolutions. It's kind of funny because you say you struggle with the title, YNAB, you need a budget, but you don't really like the B word anymore, mm -hmm. which really comes to my next question. Is spending less money a poor goal? I would have never thought I'd be having this conversation with you given what you do, but I get the feeling that Maybe spending less it's, money it's isn't isn't everything. Yeah. No, it's Why? All, it's an what an awful goal. Like, <laughs> um, like we spend we spend so much time and effort and energy to earn that money, like so much education, stress, giving up family time. All that effort is converted into a dollar, and then now we're just like all of that. I have to cut it short. All of like I can't enjoy all of that. I have to. And so we, we're doing, we're already misunderstanding the point of money. The point of money is to spend it. Whether you save it to spend it later or you save it to give to your kids to spend, it will be spent. So there's that problem that I have with it. And then on top of that, I hate the idea of just less. Like, what, what does that even mean? What do you, like, let's get to specifics. What feelings are you having where you are saying, I need to spend less? What just, what bill did you just open that made you say, I need to spend less. What kind of Christmas did you just have where it's like, I need to spend less? Like what we're, what we need to do is orient people to where, I mean, honestly, if I were to say, you were like, Hey, Jesse, I want to set a goal to spend less. I'd be like, all right, doc. What if, what if instead we said, what do you want to spend your money on? Tell me what you want. And then let's set a goal with that. Like, let's go to Tahiti or something, you know, then the, the positive desire to achieve something to, you know, to have an experience that you want, it will crowd out the spending that you mean when you say spend less. What people hopefully mean is I want to spend, I want to waste less. And when, when waste, we got to be careful there even because my waste is your treasure. And we have to make sure that people understand when they say waste, what they mean is spending that doesn't line up with what I really want, period. It's just unwanted spending. But wanted spending is like the holy grail. We want as much of that as we possibly can get. 
Yeah, I love this idea of of spending consistent with your values. And in fact, you did a podcast episode on this fairly recently, and you said your money is you. What did you mean by that? Well, I kind of do off-the-cuff podcasts, so sometimes I'll say something, and I always do one take. And sometimes I'll say something and think, oh, did I just step in it? Was that bad? You know, um, but it's, everyone kind of knows, okay, this is just the off the cuff. So I get a little bit, I get some wide berth there a little. Um, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I mean, we, we know that energy is neither created nor destroyed, right? So we pour all of this energy into this dollar and then the dollar is just storing energy. And, and then you could, you could give it to, um, I don't know, a lawn care company and they would expend their energy to cut your grass. It, it's all just being moved from one thing to another. You could pay it to the government in the form of taxes and then they build a road. And so the energy is now there, but when it's, it's, when I say your money is you, I'm trying to get people to realize that like, Doc is this person with these values and aspirations. And if we could get more of Doc to be expressed through intentional spending, what a what a win. And and I think fundamentally humans, like when they're intentional and aware, they're they're good. They're just they're good. And what would it be like if if more of the good of people was was being expressed through spending? What would that mean for and and I I don't want to make this like anything at all, like overly, uh, I don't know, aspirational or like altruistic, but pick your, pick your passion, whether it's like, I really want to see the environment cleaned up. I really want to see this. I really want to see, you know, whatever thing, like, I'm not even talking just charities, but just anything at all. Pick like what you're passionate about and imagine a world where everyone spent more in line with their values. And now ask yourself, would it help that thing I love? Would it help that thing I care about? And you will so often see a pretty direct line from one thing to the other. And so our whole mission is to, I mean, we want to get the world spending in line with their innate goodness. And uh, I guess I'll just go to my grave doing that, you know? I love this concept and I I keep on coming back to, I interviewed Ken Honda maybe a year ago and he has this concept of happy money. And he's like, if you engage intentionally in life and do things that are happy or joyful for you, you are going to make money. And then you need to take that money and joyfully spend it on people and things that are important to you. And what you were saying, you know, in this sense is is it's an extension of our values. It is us. It's our energy that comes into us. And then we use our energy to go out. I have to say though, I, I feel those of us in the personal finance world, we're stuck with an interesting conundrum. Half the people we have to convince to stop spending and the other half we have to convince to start spending. How do we balance that message? Because yes, you're a guy who has an app, but people come to get financial information. They come to learn about their finances from you. How do we know who are the right people to say, look, your spending is overly much and not consistent with your values versus someone who's like, you're not spending enough and consistent with your values. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I think about this all the, I, I, it's all the time. Like I get triggered by people that are like, they'll say something. I'm like, Oh, that's totally about money. And they're like, no, it wasn't. I wasn't talking about money at all, but that's my lens, you know, and I've been doing it for so long. People that are overly frugal, we'll say, you know, like the people where you and I are trying to convince them, Hey, spend a little more, like loosen up a little bit, you know? they're they're spending tremendously they're just spending on later like they're just so obsessed with how they'll spend later and then you have people that are so, <laughs> the other side of it they're spending now money that ho- they hope to come later like it's this 
it's they're both extremes of like, well, you're spending money you don't have. And these people are like waiting for a, a, some moment in the future that a lot of them have a hard time even defining what that moment will be where they'll finally kind of be able to let loose. And so I try and just tell people like, it's all spending. Look how much you're spending on later. Look how much you're spending now. Like, let's try and find this place that it's different for everyone. Like everyone's got their own wiring, but it it's usually not near those extremes. I'll say that it's you, you, everyone kind of starts to walk toward each other and then you, you'll find a a pretty healthy band in there. But it's it's all spending. Savings is spending, retirement is spending. And 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 if we take away the labels, it actually starts to get to the meat of it. I think you know people are like, "Oh, I should save." And you're like, "Well, what do you mean? You mean you should spend on something later?" "Oh, okay. Like let's do this, you know?" I love that concept of saving is spending, right? Because you are allocating that money. And in a sense, what we're saying is we're allocating it just to a different place. What we're really talking about is that kind of YOLO versus deferred gratification, right? Spending immediately Mm -hmm. now for hedonic enjoyment, pleasure, et cetera, versus putting it away for the ultimate deferred uh, deferred gratification, which is retirement. Given this lens, I wonder how you feel about the financial independence movement. So I was an earlier financial independence, financial independence, retire early person. So I yeah. started in this world very much in the deferred gratification place. I have definitely softened over the years. And in fact, I'm, I've definitely pushed in the opposite direction. But how has it been for you? Do you think financial independence is like a great thing to strive for? Or is it holding us back? I think to the degree that it builds resilience in people's systems, like how could you argue with that? Um, there are diminishing returns to it. And um, it's interesting, the longer you stayed in the space and executed your plan, the more, like basically the more you thought about it, the more you realize you should soften up a little bit. And so I think it's totally okay for everyone to learn as they go. And if your accidental, you know, if your mistake was, man, I just, I over-indexed and saved way too quick. It's like, well, we're, we're okay. You know, that was a good learning, write it down, pass it on to your kids. I like the movement. I think it builds awareness and I think it accelerates uh, the awareness of how powerful money can be for people in, in this positive way. And so I I like it a lot, but I only will ever uh, like raise an objection when I'm one-on-one with someone, when I can kind of get to know them a little bit and like, and feel it out. And then you can be like, well, let's talk about this more. And you always find like really fun, colorful conversation there. But I, I don't think I would ever go so far as to speak out against it like broadly or to even really object to it broadly uh because it i think on the net it just does a lot of good for people we again mentioned like the whole budget thing is actually has grown apart really from what you feel you do at wineab what do you think about net worth calculators like almost every budgeting app has some kind of net worth calculator given the conversation we're having now this idea of net worth as a goal is it a poor goal good yeah it's i mean this is like an account i can't shake everything you know (laughs) what um like what score uh, not score score sounds like you're competing with your neighbor you know what measure are you using to see if you're getting ahead and i think net worth is a fine is a fine measure for that now i always say like you realize we're not talking about your worth right like you realize that like people will sometimes really closely tie their like themselves as a person to their financial success or not and that kind of tears your heart out um so if we can if we can separate those two then i it's a great way to keep score at the end of the day 
you have in order to build wealth, you must, you must spend less than you bring in. And people can say, I don't like the word wealth. Well, then use another word, but you have to spend less than you earn. And the score for that is net worth. So I said score again. Uh, yeah, that's old habits, <laughs> I think. The uh yeah, the the measure, it's a good measure. It's it's fairly objective, it's fairly simple. Don't look at it too often, that kind of thing. It can get noisy if you're looking at it daily. So I guess it's a good measure, but then if you look at it too often, the noise can start to creep in. So it's a good measure. And then you'd have a few caveats on how, you know, how often to look at it, things like that. I, I like it on the whole. Yeah. We are talking to Jesse Meekham. He is the creator of YNAB, You Need a Budget, as well as the podcast and the Wall Street Journal bestselling book. And we are talking New Year's resolutions and why savings might not be the best one. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R usa.com that's landroverusa.com this episode is proudly sponsored by better help listen if you're like me you thought at one point in your life that having enough money would solve all of your problems and guess what it didn't for me and it probably isn't for you but you know what helps quite a bit therapy Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It definitely did for me, and when I used BetterHelp, I found that I was learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowered me to be the best version of myself, and it's not for just those people who've experienced major trauma. You might be like me. Maybe you got to the point where financially you were successful and yet you still found that life's problems hadn't been all solved. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash E-A-R-N. We are back with Jesse Meekham. He is a self-proclaimed recovering CPA. He is deeply passionate about teaching individuals, families, and business owners so they can gain total control of their money. And we have been talking about New Year's resolutions, and in this case, YNAB, which is a budgeting app, or at least that's what it was built for originally. <laughs> 
let's let's actually focus on that point. If YNAB is not, you know, a budgeting app or per se to make you budget, what is its purpose? Yeah, I, we're we're uh, I, every day we come up with a new way of saying like, what are we doing exactly? Like we're trying to get people to spend. We're we're like uh, we're a we're a spending app, you know. We're, I mean, we're we're basically we've built an app to to help people learn and implement a set of habits to help them spend, save, and give more joyfully. That's the app is meant to change your thinking, and then track reality against that thinking, and then affect the change of wow, my spending feels good, you know, and um. So there's no category for that necessarily. Like I don't think you can select that on the app store of like, hey, choose your, <laughs> you know, over this. But uh, we'll we'll just do do the best we can. The reason we're we're getting away from that word budget is because people come along and they say, hey, I need a budget, man. I, oh my gosh, like I gotta I gotta tighten the belt. I gotta cut down. I'm going rice and beans, and um, that's fine for you know a little while. It's like every crash diet. So we spent a decade trying to teach people, no, 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 no. This is what a budget means. And it turns out it's really hard to change the definition of a word across yeah, the globe. I feel like we so need at a this better point, word. We need a better word. You know, so at this point, we're just saying, hey, we're we're built to help you learn this these simple habits to spend more joyfully. And then that's not a short word at all. That's we'll we'll workshop that and in in twenty thirty we'll probably have something. But until then, we'll just talk around it and try and get the message across. Yeah, I mean, I hate to use like awkward, complex words. But what you're really talking about is like you're an allocator, right? We're telling you how to yes, allocate your yeah. money, not necessarily how to quote unquote budget it. But that's yeah. confusing. Our, our CEO, he talks about agency, which is like a kind of an old word in the way he's using Great it. Word. But he's just like, we're really trying to have people feel and exercise agency. And you can't lead on a marketing headline with that. But his he's absolutely correct. It's that is the point of it is you, you people are agents and they get to affect change. They get to decide, they get to be in control, all that. I think this is really important kind of having this philosophical discussion because with the shutting down of Mint, a very popular free budgeting app, yeah. people are out there now looking in the world for what is the next financial app that's really going to fit their needs. And so I think it's pushing a lot of companies to kind of move past that 1.0 and get towards more of a financial app 2.0. What do you think that looks like nowadays? What are those kind of 2.0 functions that that the newer apps, especially given the fact that there really aren't going to be many free apps anymore, probably yeah. for most I, of what we want? I think, well, what you're saying there, I hope you're right. I hope that free kind of had its heyday and it goes away because um, free is a scam. Like, and I don't mean like scammers are doing it, but I just mean at the end of the day, when you when it's free people people say this they're like well yeah i know i'm the product but you don't understand what it's what it's really doing when a when a business and its users goals are at odds like that is a fundamental issue and it's the same reason that we won't um release a you know a credit card and say hey we'll just make money on on your transaction fees like Suddenly, we're a spending app that wants our users to spend. We would turn into like a buy now, pay later operation. Like their incentive is to have you buy as much as possible. And you can say, oh, this or that. It helps this. It helps that. You know, cash flow salt. But their incentive, I mean, didn't Charlie Munger say like, show me the incentive. I'll, I'll show you the behavior. It, so 
free puts you at odds with with the provider of the service. And I really hope you're right. I, I hope, Doc, that it's that people realize if I pay for something, two things. One, there's transparency and visibility on like how this business gets the value from me. And two, that the business will last longer. It won't just be rug pulled out from underneath me. I hope those two things happen. And honestly, I was going to leave with that. Um, you kind of teed it up for me nicely on the you know version 2.0 of finance apps. I hope more and more of them charge some reasonable fee that uh, you know is competitive in the marketplace where consumers can say, okay, I know what I'm getting. This is what I'm paying. I'll keep making this trade over and over. I do it when I buy milk. I feel like I should be able to do it when I pay for software. Do you think part of that financial applications 2.0 leads us more to financial advice versus tracking? So I think if you were to look, especially at the very beginning budgeting apps, we're really talking about self-tracking, right? This is an app that helps us visualize and track. Is financial advice starting to become part of that picture? Yeah, I think... Well, I think we'll see with the with what will be a bubble of chat GPT add-ons, you will see you will see advice, right? You'll see that tacked on. It'll be like when people threw dot com on their business in ninety-nine or added blockchain in twenty seventeen or added AI now. So we're just it's one more bubble and bubbles are very helpful. Like I'm they'll it'll it'll be very instructive. It'll allocate capital. We'll see crazy innovation. It'll be good. That being said, I think the like it'll be interesting to see how the advice uh, just gets um, kind of made into plain vanilla again. Like that's going to be interesting. You know, if I read one blog and then read another blog and read another blog, like it starts to get kind of watered down and less and less tailored toward the individual. On the on the tracking front, though, I think what we need and what we've always tried to do, you must, you have to track in order to see how you've done against your intentions. But it's so much more important to be always looking forward and saying, okay, well, what will I do today? You know, you have a crappy day and you're like, golly, this day was crappy. You look back, you can kind of say why. You can't change anything, but you can look forward, plan the next day a little better and and make some improvements. And so in this tracking, I want people to recognize that tracking has its use only so that it shows you what to do tomorrow. There is no other use for tracking except to inform decisions going forward. And going forward is, I mean, honestly, if you said, Jesse, would you rather this person track and never look forward or not never know history and always look forward? I would take the latter every time. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. And as these apps get more powerful, and the, the AI part really is interesting, and I, I very much connect with it what you say. Be. The problem is that, the advice becomes very generic and homogenized and it's really hard to tailor it. I mean, I guess the AI can interpret the tracking you've done and come up with some ideas and principles, but it can't know what's going on in your life. It can't know who you're supporting. It can't know that your profession is one in which jobs are being cut. It it, it just can't know those things. Yeah. Yeah. And in 25 years, maybe it totally can. And you and I will be like those, those guys that said you needed what it didn't Bill Gates say, like you need 500 K of memory. You will never need more. Like you can read, uh, you know, the history books are full of claims like that. So I'm sure you and I will both be wrong in what its capabilities are eventually. But as of right now, you're right. It's the, the, I mean, we're so complex. Finances are so dynamic and then throw in another person who's sharing finances with you and and you know it we're we're back to um good old fashioned medicine you know where a little bit of its medicine and a lot of it is like people skills and reading and the whole thing so yeah we'll see where it goes but 
I do, if I could bring one message home, it's just the tracking is far less important than the intending. And um, so hopefully as people kick off the new year, they just can get really clear on what their intentions are. You mentioned sharing, and I think that's also kind of one of those financial application 2.0 things coming up is this ability to share the data with your financial advisor or with your spouse or how much of that is a part of, for instance, YNAB today and how much is that going to be a part of the future? Yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're building it in, like, especially sharing with a partner. That's just, it's such a critical component of of your finances. So if you can get one part, partner who's like gung-ho about YNAB and another one that's just like, yeah, okay, I'll let you do your thing. That's that's pretty good. But if you can get both partners where they get it, like let's we're gonna have a we're gonna have a meeting, we're gonna have a date. It's gonna be about our money, what we intend, money, dreams, call it whatever you want. Don't call it a budget meeting. We used to call it that. <laughs> Don't call it that anymore. But that idea of just like let's come together and talk about our goals. And then for the last five minutes, let's talk about how our money can enable those goals. That kind of thing works really well. You'll always have the nerd, like you'll have the doc probably that's just like, oh, I love, I love digging in. I love doing this. And maybe, you know, your partner doesn't. That's totally fine. But when it comes to those like shared, you know, the shared aspirations, it'd be like saying, oh, I handle the parenting and my, my you know, you're like, no, 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 you both handle parenting. You bring different things to it, but we would never abdicate and say, oh, only one person does the parenting. And it's got to be the same, the same way with the finances. Um, it just, it's tragic when you realize that an otherwise fantastic family gets pulled apart because of they can't reconcile their their financial differences and especially when when you know that it it could have been a different way. That that one's uh it's it's a heartbreaker. We started with resolutions, but I think there's a great point to pivot to solutions. Let's talk about some of the solutions to reimagining our finances after the new year. One of them you say is we should be giving every dollar a job, an important job. Why is that a big part of maybe getting money better this year? Yeah. I mean, what we want to do is we're starting to acquire some new habits, right? And that first habit is that every dollar has that purpose. And what it's funny because in in the world i don't know in in you know in the self-help kind of world you'll hear about abundance you know you need to have an abundance mindset not a scarcity mindset right we actually really dig scarcity like when we want it when we give every dollar a job what we're doing is we're we're allocating every single dollar to a purpose hopefully some of them are great and grand or will be soon but it also could be the utility bill just to be clear so <laughs> we're allocating every dollar to a job. And at some point, the person, as they're kind of working on this, the building this muscle of this habit, they realize that they've run out of money. They don't have any more to allocate. And that that feeling of running out of money is scarcity. And scarcity brings clarity for people. So now, now instead of just saying, I want, I want, I want, like your Instagram scrolling, suddenly you're saying, I want this in lieu of this. And the the trade-off is so unbelievably instructive for you and for your partner as you're working through this that it it teaches you what you want. So that scarcity is is a is a master teacher in what you really desire. Now, if you're in a tough financial position, a lot of, you know, your hands kind of forced. A lot of it's like, oh no, you will pay these four easy payments from this buy now, pay later doom scroll thing you did a little while ago and you will pay this utility bill and you got into a house that is, is stretched you so you're going to keep 
that's going to keep being a heavyweight for you in this car. All a lot of times, a lot of consumer debt, you know, it just comes and kind of picks your pocket beforehand. But even then, even in that tight situation, the the scarcity still shows people, oh, wait, I I don't like this. I don't like that payment. I thought I would be okay with that that payment. And I actually am not liking it as much anymore. Now that I know what my trade-offs are, now that I'm feeling it. Um, and so that habit of just giving every dollar a job and and actually running out of money um, on paper is so, so useful. And every marketer and every financial product and every bank wants you to just so easily walk past running out of money and step into their grasp. It's good to just feel it, you know, feel it for real. So you heard it here. Scarcity is a good thing, at least occasionally when you're thinking about your money. Another solution instead of a resolution, and I'm going to quote you here, aging your money. What does it mean to age your money? Yeah, it's like it's like a, a good wine, you know, like wine. I'm not a drinker, but wine gets better as it gets older, right? And and money needs to be the same way. So instead of, you know, you earn a dollar on Friday because it's payday and it's it the paycheck's gone by Sunday night and you're back to just full stress mode. We want to get people to where they earn a dollar on that Friday and it's not used for 30, 40, 50 days. Um, so we 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 literally in the software measure how long a an individual dollar sits in your system before it exits. And people will just watch, like, oh, my age of money when I first started YNAB was three days. That's not uncommon. And it, there's nothing, you know, this is what it is. Um, we get people fair like in about, about four months, their age of money sits at around 30, 35 days. So what that means is a dollar that they're spending on Starbucks or whatever is they they got it 35 days ago. It's so different from how they've been feeling with that paycheck to paycheck grind. Um, so that that habit of letting money sit is is so powerful. And I don't mean to be crass, but it is a little bit of like giving the middle finger to your money. You're kind of like, I don't need you right now. Like there's something very empowering. <laughs> I'm just not that, that so into you. Letting it yeah, it's just like I'm not that into you. I I could take it or leave it. You know, that kind of thing I I quite like. So there's a lot of of powerful psychological benefit. It, we talked about trade-offs being part of that first solution of giving every dollar a job and feeling those trade-offs help you, you know, helps you improve your decisions. Letting money sit means you get time. And in the finance world, I mean, you, you know, this as well as anyone options, compounding time is your best of best friends. And when you're under the gun and, and probably heck as a physician, when you're under the gun decision quality, you know, it becomes questionable, but when you have a little bit of time, decision quality improves. And so we're getting people where they're operating all the time with some buffer between them and some impending disaster and decision quality goes up, sleep quality goes up. It's a, it's a wonderful solution. And the last solution that I specifically want to talk about that you mentioned is this idea of rolling with the punches. So I'm not going to use the B word, but I'm going to say, isn't part of being like a master allocator that you can be rigid at times? Like I thought rigidity on some level can be good too. Yeah. Um, A strong opinion loosely held. I like more than rigidity. Um, Is a bridge rigid, you know, or is it uh, like, can it handle things? Right. Um, how, like when they earthquake proof a building, what do they do? They, they make sure it's attached to the ground, but they also like make sure that it can literally kind of move as it goes. Right. And, and so, um, 
rigid plans break. Um, it, it, I think Mike Tyson might have said, "Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the, punched face. In the face." You know, that might have been that. Probably was him. So, um, it, there's I can go on with analogy after analogy of like the best coach ha- like is a fantastic planner or allocator to kind of bring us home, but then in the moment, like game time they're even better at adjusting and adapting to the new information. That's just this constant stream for them. You know, they've got their offensive coordinator up in the box. They're giving them a view. They've got the sideline view. They've got the energy of the players that they're using to kind of inform them. They've got the, the crowd, perhaps all this information is being piped into where they're adjusting. And when we set a plan, we have fantastic intentions and you're right. There is some kind of like, there's a resolve there that we don't want. We don't want to be flippant about a plan, but we also want to recognize that plan is our plan always. And if new information comes in or heaven forbid, we change our mind, you know, that's okay too. It's still your plan. It's still your money. You know, your money is still you. And so we're allowed to adjust and be flexible. I think if there's one habit that of the four that we teach, that one habit, I think is what gives people the staying power where they don't throw in the towel, you know, to go back to boxing, where they just, they realize like, oh, I can adjust here and tomorrow will be better. Instead of just saying, ah, this doesn't work. I'm not good at money. You know, that all those lies that they can tell themselves. Well, Jesse, I want to thank you for being on the show today. As I think about our conversation, I really get caught on this idea that that maybe the word budget is antiquated. And what we really are doing is learning how to become the best allocators of our money. And when we talk about allocating as opposed to budgeting, what we're really talking about is spending everything. Now, some of that spending can be saving. Some of that can go into investments. Some of that can go into electricity or the house payment or the car payment. And some of that can go to fun right away. But what we're really doing is we're allocating our scarce resources in such a way to best meet our own sense of values and needs Before I ask you about what is coming up next in your life and where we can find you, the financial app world was rocked by this idea of mint closing. Tell me what effect you think this is going to have on personal finance in general and the financial application world. I don't think we've solved the problem of, I mean, people spend um, full of guilt and second guessing and um, spending causes them stress. All that work, all that energy to convert their themselves into that dollar. And then the whole experience afterward is a negative and we have not solved that problem. So until, until we as an app ecosystem or maybe some grand AI, you know, until we solve that, I think we, we still have work to do Um, on the, on the mint specific side. I hope that we can give people that really got a lot of value out of mint I hope we and and many others that are in the space can give them a soft landing where they where they can still feel like they're grounded where they like I you know you hate to have someone really rely on something free or not like really find value in it and then to have it be gone and and it's the state of you know a competitive marketplace that that gives us all these wonderful things too you know I mean we're enjoying this podcast with a competitively made mic over a competitive company called Zoom and it's a good thing, but it's still in the moment on those local levels. It's hard for people. And and so I hope we can give them a place to land where they feel like, okay, I've got my footing again. I can spend confidently, maybe, maybe even joyfully. So what is coming up next in the YNAB world? I, I, uh, I'm no longer CEO. I mentioned we have a CEO as of almost three years ago. And so for me personally, it is absolutely fantastic. I, I don't have any direct reports, but I still get loads of interaction with the team. 
I get to work on projects. It's it feels very fun. Um, I'm working on a new small book that I'm very excited about uh, and have nothing else to say on it, but just that I'm excited. And then YNAB, we're we're needing to we're trying to figure out um what large language models may do for us um in our little space. And that's been a fun thing to see. And then I mean, there's just so much work still to be done. So a lot of times people will say, like, what are you working on next? And I say, Oh, we're we're standing in the trench and we are just digging. Like there is so much, so much work to be done right where we are. And you almost have to coach the team, like, don't look up, don't look up. Like we are in our spot. This is where we do really well. This is where I feel like we can have some good in the world. Um, so but besides my tiny little book that I'm personally working on, the team is just digging the trench um and hopefully having fun along the way. Hopefully, you know, working at YNAB is blessing their families in, in all those positive ways. Um, and I can, I could go for decades more just knowing that's happening. And if people have interest in either learning more about you or reaching out, what is the best way for them to reach you? I am not on any socials. So you could email me directly at jesse at ynab.com and I will respond. Um, but you won't find me I have an old Twitter handle, but it is it is very it's yeah, dusty. I have to so, say, I went yeah. for researching you for this show. I did check out your Twitter Twitter handle, and I I kind of stopped when I realized the last tweet was from 2016. So yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been a good it's been a good move on my part. Um. So yeah, feel free. To, people can email me directly, and if they want to know more about Wineab, it's wineab.com. And uh, yeah, check it out. See if see if we've got something that's of interest to you. Jesse Meekum, thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thank you very much. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Is budgeting a bad word? I've really thought about this since first my episode with Val from Monarch Money and now Jesse Meekum from YNAB. These were traditionally called budgeting apps, and yet both were telling me that over time this idea of budgeting itself really isn't how they want to be identified or branded. And it made me think a lot about how maybe we've changed in personal finance, in financial independence. If we're looking at this idea of budgeting differently than we did, let's say, 10 years ago, the traditional way was the way to basically save money, to earn and invest, to defer gratification for your retirement, to eventually hit financial independence, was to carefully budget, spend much less than you earned, take the difference and invest it, whether that be in real estate or the stock market or a new business, and then let it grow and compound over time. As you all know, I think we've evolved over the last few years, and we've realized that while saving money and getting to financial independence and having a great retirement are all laudable goals, we shouldn't do that at the cost of not living well today. And therefore, this idea of budgeting really we equated with frugality and maybe even stopping ourselves from doing the things we wanted to do. There was this idea that we had to suffer, that budgeting and suffering go together, 
that we have to deal with this painful side effect of becoming financially free. And because I think society has evolved, because of those of us in personal finance have evolved, I think our beliefs about budgeting have also evolved. The idea is now that maybe we can enjoy today as well as enjoy tomorrow. So budgeting is not keeping us from spending money on what we want. Budgeting is planning so we can get the most value out of each of these dollars. Which is funny again, because when we look at the world of things like financial apps, when a lot of these financial apps started, it was very popular to talk about budgeting. And only, I think, in the last few years have we started to frown upon the idea. The truth of the matter is I don't think we're really talking about anything different than we were in the past. It's just we're not using the same words. We're talking about things like lifestyle modification. We're using terms like slow financial independence or coast financial independence instead of financial independence. But the whole idea is that we do have to budget, but some of that budget can be put towards things we want to enjoy today. There can be such thing as a YOLO fund. You can invest in things that are important to you that are material or that are experiences. And those investments compound in a very different way than your money compounds. Your money compounds and brings you more money, but your investment in experiences and things you enjoy compound and they bring you more joy and happiness. And I guess what we've realized is that life is not black or white, that there is a continuum, and we have to find out for each one of us where we fall on the continuum. How much do we want to spend to enjoy today YOLO versus how much do we want to defer gratification so maybe we can retire early and have lots of years of financial freedom? The answer to that question is going to be different for all of us. And yet, clearly, the way forward is to learn how and where you are spending your money, which brings us back to these financial apps. You see, I started calling them financial apps and not budgeting apps because the truth of the matter is what they are is they're planning our finances for the future. How do we plan for the future? Well, we look back, we see what we were spending our money on, and then we adjust accordingly for the future. We then allocate that money to best enjoy our values as well as plan for the future and eventually, hopefully, one day retire, at least if we don't love our jobs, and start doing something we love more. And so the vocabulary has changed. Because the vocabulary has changed, I think these financial apps are changing. The age of Mint is over. And when you go out there, especially if you're going to pay for a financial app, you should expect more out of it. It should help you allocate your spending, not only to help you best meet your needs, but also reflect your values. All right, I think I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch our after show. Anything we didn't that, talk about that you think is important? I know we kind of hit a melange of subjects, but anything oh, that, was, that I, you want to make sure great. you get out there? Yeah, I love it. I love that we could talk about getting away from the word budget because I, I hope we can. Like I, it's like a Even, it's like a your, rock we've your, been pushing your up darn a hill. platform though. <laughs> oh, it's you, crazy. If people like, hear your name. It is, it's like he's the wine app guy. He's the budget guy. <laughs> yeah.
So we'll see if we can pull off the ultimate messaging switch over some period of time. You know, we'll see how it goes. Well, I will tell so. you. So the product and the brand are well no enough known that I don't even know if everyone knows that YNAB means you need a budget. Like I've heard out in the right. world uh, yeah. that people say YNAB enough that they don't actually, they, it, it's almost gotten, I, I believe, a, a life of its own. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Because you'd hate to have to change the name. I mean, talk about a risky move if you just went full, yeah. you know, full change. Ooh, yeah. That would be brutal. So yeah, we'll see what we can do. But in the meantime, we're... Uh, yeah, we're just grinding away. It's it's a lot of fun. But so. I a hundred percent agree with you for the philosophical change, though. I mean, I think oh, what's yeah. become very utterly clear over the last few years with COVID, with the great great recession, all that kind of stuff is like, yes, like this idea of a budget is really antiquated because it really does take away the whole purpose of it. Very much what you said is this whole idea. It's we're really kind of taking our energy and using it in different ways to serve us. And and yeah, there's nothing. It, it's that um, that feeling like of scarcity, like scarcity can be good and bad. Right. Um, yes, but when it yeah. comes to that piece, it almost feels too scarce. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So do you practice medicine at all anymore? Or are you you're completely so my general story is I was a full practicing doctor, owned my own practice, got burned out, learned about financial independence, the FIRE movement, realized I had enough money and and pretty much slowly subtracted all those parts of my work life I didn't like out till the one thing that was okay. left is I do hospice and palliative care. Um, mm -hmm. So I still practice hospice medicine for about 10, 15 hours a week. I'm mm -hmm. a contracted medical director for a hospice. Um, most of it's meetings, but it's supporting the people who are out there doing the really hard work. So yeah. I like that. And then the rest of my time I spend podcasting, writing books, that kind of stuff, and public speaking. Yeah. So those are kind of the things Excellent. I really enjoy and are a little bit more connected to me than probably being a physician ever was. Although, um, you know, I also connected to another thing you said that I really connected to that I didn't talk about at the moment is you were talking about being an accountant and being good at it. And, and that was one of those big struggles for me is I was a really good physician, um, but it wasn't yeah. filling me up. Like it wasn't making me happy, but I was very good at it. And it was really yeah. hard to leave a profession that I felt like, oh, this is, in fact, I often tell people it's probably the thing I'm best at, but it doesn't bring me the most joy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. You got to find someone that like lights will light you up forever, you know? Uh, yeah. And this stuff, Absolutely. this stuff lights me up way more than that ever did, uh, which yeah. sounds weird, right? Because as a physician, you can change people's lives, but this stuff changes lives in different ways. So. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.